So as I've already said, the, the sign-up table is in the back, and I would really encourage all of you uh, who are married to, to take part in that. Uh, as we open our service this morning, let's go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. It's the word of the Lord. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning as those who are blessed. Lord, we are truly blessed because our transgressions are forgiven. Our sins are covered. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it's, and it's in his name and by the grace that we have through him uh, that we stand before you today to worship you. Lord, we come confessing not that we're right with you because we are sinless or that we have somehow reached or attained some level of perfection. We come to you and we're able to worship you today because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because we are forgiven sinners. God, help us have that in our mind this morning. Deliver us from any self-righteousness that would uh, lend us to think that, that maybe we have it all together, Lord. We pray that we would be this morning those who are bringing our sin to you and confessing it and repenting of it again and again and again. Lord, we pray today that you would be uh, pleased by the worship uh, that you receive from, from our mouths and from the preaching of your word. God, we pray that you would be with us today in, in a unique and a special way. Lord, as we contemplate the, the sermon from last week, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, as Sam comes this morning to preach your word, that, that he would be feel, filled with your spirit, that he, would, that he would speak your word with great power. Lord, we pray uh, that you would work in our hearts, that your spirit would be active, uh, bringing your word to bear on our heart, bringing conviction for our sin, empowering us for the ministry that you've called us to do. God be with us today, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And when our ushers come for the morning offering, please. As we prepare for this time, you know, <clears throat> this Sunday morning in Sunday school, we learned about Israel who used their gold to make for themselves an idol. 
Next week, if you would come, Jared's going to dive into the way they use the same gold to ascribe worth to God in the tabernacle. And I would just ask you this morning, this point in our service is a time of worship. What are you using your gold for? Um, Let us go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come before you and Lord, just simply to reflect back some of the blessing that you've given each one of us here. Lord, I pray that in this in this time of offering, Lord, that you would incite hearts to hearts to sacrificial giving. Lord, that we would see needs met in ways that they weren't before. Lord, that ministries would be done through this church all for your glory and the spread of your gospel. Lord, that you would be with the rest of this service that our our praise would be acceptable to you, that you would guide our worship for the glory of your name. By the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Introduced Sam earlier, um, but we had some malfunctions there, and I got sidetracked. So uh, today we have a a special guest, Sam Ellison, and his wife, Laura, is with him. They're from South Dakota, and, um, you know, sometimes God in his providence just puts people into your life that are there to, to be a blessing and an encouragement. And uh, that's exactly what God did for me with Sam, just uh, kind of from from a human uh, perspective, it was just kind of a random meeting in a class that we happened to have. And uh, yet I know and we know that God is in control of all things and God was putting Sam in, in my path. And uh, over the last several years he's just been a great encouragement and a friend to me and uh, they were in the area and they're visiting with our our family for a couple days here so we're we're so delighted to have him and I know uh, the Lord's just greatly blessed him uh, in his preaching as you'll hear that and and just gifted him and uh, used him greatly at his church Sovereign Grace Church in Aberdeen uh, South Dakota so he said last week when we had all that cold weather uh, and we were like crying because it was below zero with the wind chill. Theirs was 65 below zero with the wind chill. So uh, he said we, we were kind of babies. He was making fun of me yesterday for because I was complaining that it was cold. Uh, he's like, you have no idea. But anyway, Sam, you come. We're so happy to have you here uh, with us this morning. Yeah, uh, Laura and I had to laugh. We turned on the local weather a few days ago and they said, the Arctic attack or the winter attack is coming. And uh, they said it was going to be down in the teens and we just had to kind of chuckle to ourselves <laughs> uh, because that would feel really good right now in South Dakota. But it is uh, the providence of God how Andrew and I met. I was going to hand a paper in my first seminary class ever. I was taking a class in January, a week-long class, and a guy looks over my shoulder and says, hey man, you cannot hand that paper in looking like that, formatted that way. (laughs) I'm like, all right. He's like, I'll show you how to do it. And that was Andrew. And little did I know, the first uh, person I would meet at Southern, uh, I was scared to death, didn't know what I was doing would be him. And... uh, Every trip back, Andrew and Bonnie would invite me into their home and uh, just uh, loved me. And we'd become really good friends. And I know you know this, but you're blessed to have someone like Andrew 
who takes serious the call of his Lord to feed the sheep, uh, to give you God's word. That's what we need. And, uh, and so I'm thankful to know him as a friend, and I know uh, you're all thankful to have him as your pastor. Um, uh, so I appreciate, I consider it an honor and privilege to uh, share God's word with you this morning and for Laura and I to just share in uh, fellowship with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, back in Aberdeen, I've been preaching through Luke. And uh, in chapter 10, as we're going to read, we're going to see ministry begin to happen among Jesus' disciples. He sent the 12 out at the beginning of chapter 9. Now he sends 72 out. Before chapter 9, Jesus did everything. The 12 followed Jesus around and watched him work. But now Jesus is starting to train them in. Uh, so we're going to start at verse 1 and go through uh, verse 24 of uh, Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place, where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it'll return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever town or whatever you enter a town and whenever you enter a town and they receive you, Eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town." Woe to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'll be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. To the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Father is except, or who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are your eyes that they see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you open this text up to us, what the Holy Spirit, Spirit wants us to see. And uh, as he inspired Luke to write this to us, Father, I pray that it would be a great encouragement, that it would give us courage and confidence in ministry. Father, I pray that uh, you would draw us to your son, that we would find hope in him and might have salvation in him. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the sermon is on the topic of Christian ministry. Uh, you, you might be looking at me and say, you know, there's the minister. But actually, the scripture says that myself as an elder, I'm to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means that you guys, or you all, as you would say it, down south here, are the ministers. You're the ministers. You're the ones whom God has called to do the work of ministry. God's blessed you with elders to equip you to do it. And right now, some of you are thinking about all your insufficiencies, how God can't use you, how the kingdom of God's in trouble if it's relying on you. And yet, what I want to point you to this morning is not to yourselves, but to God. Because Christian ministry is God's ministry. Got to start my timer here or I'll be in trouble. Christian ministry is 100% God's work by God's power, through God's word, by God's grace. I'm going to show you five ways in this text that we see that Christian ministry is a work of the Lord. And then you're going to see three things that you're to do. Pray, preach, and party. And not just party, but have a predestination party. All right. So that ought to make you lean in and say, what's this going to be about? So what about my claim? Christian ministry is 
God's ministry, God's work. Let me just share a couple texts before we dive into our text to just give you the flavor of of, uh, what I mean. I was at a pastor's conference uh, last week, and a pastor opened up Mark 4, uh, verses 26 through 29, a short parable that many people forget about. Everyone remembers the parable of the sower or the four soils, but they forget this one. Let me read it to you. And he said, this is Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus wants his disciples to say, what, let me show you what Christian ministry looks like. It's like a farmer who scatters seed and he goes to sleep. And he rises, and he sleeps, and he rises, and all by itself brings forth fruit and a harvest. Some of you, I don't know if there's any farmers in the room, you might say, well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Well, Jesus wanted to point out that that seed is going to grow all by itself. We might be able to cultivate it and do some things, but the point of the parable is, all by itself. This is what the kingdom of God's like. We scatter, not our word, his word, and it grows all by itself. We don't even know how it all works, but he does it. This is a comforting message to a pastor who often feels like, I gotta make people Christian. I gotta make them grow. I gotta change their hearts. That's not how Christian ministry works. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Take comfort. The flesh is no help at all. It's the spirit that gives life. In John 15, 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am in the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now listen. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You add your flesh into it, it adds nothing to Christian ministry. You know, John 3, 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, he can't see it. He can't look at what Jesus is doing and say, whoa, the kingdom of God is here. Unless he's born of God. Two verses later, it says, 
In verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he's pointing back to Ezekiel 36, that is a new covenant promise where God's going to go in, take out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, give the Holy Spirit and wash the sins away. This is all the work of God. So he says, unless one is born of water and spirit, the thing that in Ezekiel 36, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. If you want to see the kingdom of God, the spirit has to work to bring new life in you. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, the spirit has to make you born again. Flesh can only create flesh. Christian ministry is about dead people, spiritual dead people, becoming spiritually alive. And you and I can't make people become spiritually alive. It's 100% a work of God. One more. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Paul says, We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart in this, or we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If anyone's going to respond to our message, the Spirit of God has to help a natural person understand spiritual things. All this is a way of intro into our text, highlighting that the whole Bible confirms the fact that Christian ministry is not our ministry. It's his ministry. This is not Andrew's church. This church is not built off Andrew's flesh. It's built through prayer, preaching God's word, and God bringing about life, spiritual life, by the power of the Spirit. Now, this ought to be encouraging because God can use anybody. The title of my message is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands on Mission. We're just the tools. The tool can't do anything unless God picks it up and does the work. All right. Now we're going to have to fly. Luke 10.1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town, where he himself was about to go. First thing the Lord does in the Lord's ministry is he appoints and sends his ministers. People don't decide to become ministers of God. He appoints them and he sends them. He appointed 72. Now these are not well-trained ministers. These are new disciples that have been following Jesus. We've already seen in earlier in Luke that 
the demoniac, the crazy man, as soon as Christ cast the demons out and healed him, the demoniac says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, go back to your hometown. Tell them everything I did for you. Began doing ministry immediately. So you might be sitting there saying, God can't use me. And I'm saying, if God saved you, he not only can use you, he will use you and work through you. Now he pairs them up in twos. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about this, but from the Old Testament, we know that two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4.9. If one falls down, there's alone, there's no one there to help him up. There's protection, there's accountability in twos. Uh, we also find out in Deuteronomy that uh, one witness is not credible for the Jews. You need at least two or three witnesses. So here they're going as witnesses of the kingdom of God. He's sending them out in pairs. In verse 2, it said, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, uh, and then he says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now in the New Testament, when you think of the harvest, I think you probably think of being uh, God reaping a harvest of believers to heaven. But actually in the New Testament, it's pretty much 50-50. Sometimes it's a harvest that's to be gathered to be burned, to be destroyed in hell. There's two harvests. And so commentators are split on which one Jesus is talking about. Uh, for example, uh, uh, John MacArthur thinks this is the harvest that's about to happen for judgment. So Jesus is looking at the crowds and he sees these people who are not trusting him and the judgment's ripe, they're about to be killed and he wants those saved out of this harvest of wrath. Others say this is a harvest uh the, there's lost people out there that need to be brought in. It doesn't matter which way we go on this. The point is this. Uh, in Matthew's gospel on the same text, he looks out and he had compassion on the crowds because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. As we look out into the world, you can get angry and say, oh, I live in an ungodly culture at an ungodly time. Look at all this paganism around. But when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them. And he saw that these are lost people without a shepherd. And so he tells them, he doesn't say go first, he says pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When we're in our flesh, we see a need, and what do we want to do? Act. Just go do it. If it's our ministry, that's what we should do. But the first response is pray. To his disciples, he says, pray. Because if I just go do it, the need's bigger than me. Lord, send out laborers 
into the harvest to go. The second thing we see the Lord do is we see that the Lord empowers and protects his ministers. After he tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest, he says in verse 3, go your way. First pray, then go, but look at their mission. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now just imagine if you raised wolves and you raise lambs. You have two pens. And you go to the lambs and you say, you're going to be my ministers today. It's going to be wonderful. Come here. I'm going to let you out of your pen and we're going to go into this other pen and it's going to be great. You get to go in the wolf pen. If you're a sheep, you're saying, I don't know if I want to do this ministry. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out. I've appointed you. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, here's the thing. Lambs are helpless, so helpless, that if they're set, sent out in the midst of wolves, they're only as safe as their shepherd is strong. Right? A sheep or a lamb is safe if the shepherd can pound the wolves, can keep them at bay. Here's what he's showing them. Christian ministry has nothing to do with your own skill set, your own strength, your own power. Christian ministry has to do with the power and the strength of the good shepherd. This is comforting because we're all weak. Only in our pride do we think we're capable and we're strong. If you want to know you're, if you're trusting in the flesh, look at what you do first. A little suffering comes into your life. Maybe a physical problem is the very first thing you do is go on the internet and figure out how you're going to fix it yourself. Or do you pray and then go to the doctor? We often are proud and rely on ourselves. The third thing we're going to see in the Lord's ministry is that the Lord provides for his ministers. Not only does he protect them, he appoints them, sends them out, he protects them, but he also provides for their means. Look at verse 4. And by the way, at the beginning of chapter 9, he sent out the 12 and told them the same thing. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If there's a son of peace there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it'll return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Here's what he says. He says, don't take any provisions for you. Because if you do, you will think that the reason why you're provided for is because of the great provision and planning that you had when you got all the stuff together to go. And the reason why he says, 
eat whatever they put before you. Don't go from house to house. Jewish rabbis, who were often false teachers that would fleece the flock, would go from one house, this food isn't as good, I'm going to the next house, I'm going to the next house, and they use their ministry to get rich and to exploit the people. Have you ever seen ministers like that? They're on TV, just turn your TV on. Same in Jesus' day, false ministers doing it to get rich. He says, don't be like that. You be different. Accept what I provide for you. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Luke 22, right before Jesus goes to the cross, in verse 35, here's what he says to these disciples. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag and no knapsack or no sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now I tell the one who has a money bag, take it. Likewise, a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, for I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for it is written about me as its fulfillment. They said, look, Lord, here are two swords. He said to them, it is enough. So later on, he's going to send them out and he says, take all those provisions with you. But before you do that, I'm putting you through basic training so that when you take provisions for you, you don't think that you're providing for yourself. But the Christian ministry is all a work of God. You see, when you make provisions and take them with you, those are still God's provisions that he's provided you with. But here in Luke 10, he's teaching them that ministry is all about all done in his power. So we see that the Lord provides for his ministers. The fourth thing we see is the Lord speaks his word through his ministers. The main ministry we have is a proclaiming ministry of the kingdom of God. It's a preaching ministry. Yes, it does all sorts of other things. Yes, they heal. But even the healing is to authenticate the message Whenever there's miracles in the Bible, it's specific epochs. Whenever there's miracle workers, I should say. There's these certain epochs when God sends his prophets like Moses. Moses says, why will they listen to me? He says, what's in your hand? Throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. The miraculous powers are to authenticate the, me the messenger. And so when Jesus came, he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's healing. He's doing miraculous things. He's proving that this message is from God. And so did the early church. Now we have the scriptures. It's my opinion that we don't, God doesn't need to authenticate anyone's word because the Bible's been given to us. Genesis through Revelation. The Lord has spoken. Yes, God still does miracles. But he doesn't need miracle workers to authenticate prophets with new words. And so we see in this text, look at what we see. He says, heal the sick in it and say to them, do the miracles, which does show the compassion of God, point to the kingdom of God when, when we will all be healed one day. But then he says, say to them, the kingdom of God is near to you. 
And whenever you enter the town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of this town, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, and then he warns of judgment. It's going to be more bearable for these uh, Sodom than these towns that reject not only the miracles, but the preaching of the kingdom of God. Now, here's what you need to know. The message God gives us is God's message. And it's not like a teddy bear. God didn't give us little pink teddy bears to go give to people and say, snuggle on this, it's going to be really great. You know, it'd be fun to deliver those to little girls. I have four daughters. They would love it. But the message he gives us, he sends us out into the midst of wolves, and there's two ways to respond to it, to receive the message and enter the kingdom of God, or to reject it and then declare judgment on them. This is the gospel, right? The gospel message is that God in his love sent Christ to be the mediator, to stand between the wrath of God for our sins and us, and to absorb it. In Romans 2, here's what Paul says. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to leave you to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now picture this. Every human being in the world uh, has a clear plastic tube that goes up above their head. All right? I've been on a water slide before that had a clear plastic tube that would fill up with water and they push a button and then whoosh, takes you down the slide. All the water comes down on your back and pushes you down the slide. Well, so here's where I'm thinking. Just imagine this with me. Clear plastic tube. Every time you sin, there's wrath for that sin that comes into your tube. Sin again, more wrath. Sin again, more wrath. Sin again, more wrath. Everyone on the face of the earth, according to this text, is storing up for themselves more and more wrath for the day of judgment. But the world says this, I've sinned 8,000 billion times and no lightning bolts hit me yet. God's not upset with me. And, he, and Paul's saying, no, don't presume upon the riches of his kindness and patience with you, which is meant to lead you to repentance because the day will come when that button will be pushed and wrath will come down on everyone's head on Judgment Day. Unless, during this time of God's patience and kindness, people look at the one who is called the one who made propitiation, big word that just means wrath absorber, so God in his love sends a wrath absorber to stand between you and his wrath for your sin and take all of it, extinguish it on the cross. When Jesus was in the garden, the wrath of God was in the cup. 
and he drank it all the way down for anyone who would trust in him. All right, that's the message. So we need to be clear when we preach. We're not saying, try Jesus. We're not saying, oh, just give it a try. God's loving and no. He says, if they reject you, they receive you, the blessing falls on them. But if they reject you, make it clear. Be loving. Go out into the streets, dust off your feet, and say, you've rejected your only hope to salvation. You have no hope if the kingdom of God comes near to you and you say, I don't want it. So we can't fluff up the gospel. The message is God's message. It's his ministry. We're tools. We're his mouthpiece. And we go speak it. And sometimes Christians get killed for saying it clearly. But God will provide the grace for them to fulfill their work of ministry that he's given them, even unto death. He'll give you grace all the way to your death to even die for him. So we see the message. Uh, finally, the Lord receives the rejection or acceptance of our of his ministry. So here's the thing. We can feel sorry for ourselves. We can say, God's given me a tough message. He sent me out in the midst of wolves and they're going to reject me and it's going to crush me. It's not what Jesus says. Verse 16, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. So if people believe and are saved, you did not save them. If they listen to the gospel you preach and they trust him, you're not the greatest. You're a tool. You're an instrument in the Redeemer's hands and they heard the voice of God that spoke through you and through us. So all glory goes to him. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus taught this all the time. John 7, 6, Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its work is evil. He says the same thing in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. But all these things they'll do on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So here's the thing. If you get rejected for the gospel, for being faithful with the message, it's a sign that you've been chosen by Christ out of this world, been given new life, so that just like they couldn't understand Jesus or love Jesus, they don't understand you or love you. 
And yet, so many people, if you ask them, why won't you share your faith with your coworker? What are you afraid? They're going to reject me. Well, who do you think you are? It's not your message. And it's not done in your power. And it's not done in your provision. God is a good shepherd. It's his message. And it's not our responsibility to make it grow. We're to be faithful with the mission. We don't have to have a successful ministry. We need to be faithful ministers that to the ministry God has given us. Now, I want you to see something. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, because of Jesus' rebuke, I think here's what they're really saying. Even the demons are subject to us in your name, but they're subject to us. It's the idea of we had power. It came from you, but we had power. They're subject to us. We had success. Here's what he says. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, in the ESV here, I don't think they get this translation very good. Because I saw is in the imperfect active. So Jesus is saying, I was seeing Satan fall like heaven. As they were out doing the ministry, these nobodies that have no power, Jesus was watching Satan and his demons be destroyed, be trampled on by these 72. Now, some people think Jesus is thinking back when Satan was kicked out of heaven. That could be. Either way, the point is the same. Jesus saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And right now, they're trampling on scorpions and serpents. Look at verse 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Here's the point, though, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. If you want to know the one command in this whole text, the ESV makes it look like we went through like four sections. This is all one section. Here's the point. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. A.K.A., rejoice that God has mercifully chosen you to be with him forever and not that by his power you have ministry success. See, most people want to enter Christian ministry if it looks like it's going to be successful. And if it's not, they don't want to enter. And Jesus says, don't think like that. Because in thinking like that, you think that Christian ministry has something to do with your skill or your power. But he says, rather, if you're going to throw a party, throw a predestination party. Why do you say predestination, Sam? Why, why would you use that word? Well, look at what he says. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Well, in Revelation 13, 8, we read about this book. Here's what it says. All who dwell on earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. There's a book written before anyone ever existed and it had names in it. Everyone worships the beast except those whose names have been written in this book. Revelation 17.8 says, The beast that you saw was and is and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. You see, when the book is written is important. And the whole highlight of this text is rejoice in the fact that God has given you eyes to see the kingdom of God because that means you've been born of God by the Spirit and your flesh was no help at all. You see, I could preach to a hundred people and 95 could reject it and 5 could say this is the greatest truth I've ever seen. What happened? The Holy Spirit working in power brought uh, gave eyes to blind people. Changed the taste buds of the heart. Jesus says, if you want to rejoice, don't rejoice in your ministry success where you think you did it. Rejoice in the fact that though you deserved hell, God has given you mercy. You might be saying, well, how do I know I'm chosen? How do I know my name's written in the book? It's the wrong way to think. The gospel says, trust in Jesus Christ. Come to him, cling to him as your only hope, and you will be saved. Obey the command. Run to Christ. And if you do, you haven't become smarter than your neighbor that doesn't. You're one who's been shown mercy. All glory be to God. Now, look at how this finishes. Verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, only two times in the Bible does it say Jesus rejoiced. This is one of them. What does he throw a party for? He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. If God's predestinating choosing of souls angers you, you're not like Jesus. Because when Jesus sees it in action... God's gracious will, everyone deserves hell. Nobody deserves heaven. When Jesus sees people's eyes being open, you want to know what he does? He worships. He rejoices. And he's telling his disciples, you should rejoice that God has been gracious enough to open your eyes to this great salvation. Then look at what he says in verse 22. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Think. No one knows the Son except the Father. How is a person saved? You know the Son, right? Jesus says, no one knows the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father, or the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It's not my highlight of the text. It's the Holy Spirit's highlight of the text. Christian ministry is about God bringing spiritually dead hearts alive through ministers that are called little children. They're weak. They're not wise. They're not talented. They're not smart. They're not the wise ones in the world. They're like little helpless children And yet, they see it by the mercy of God and God gets glory because those little children realize this could never happen apart from His mercy and His grace. Pray, preach, and party in the fact that you believe. Praise God. Worship Him. That's what Christ says, that's what he models for us. This is what ought to cause our hearts joy. So whether your ministry is a success, that's not up to you. You scatter the seed, God's the one that makes it grow. You be faithful and praise God that you're his. So I invite you to enter in to the ministry and take all your excuses and throw them away because ministry doesn't have anything to do with how talented you are. It has to do with how powerful our God is. Father, thank you that this ministry you've called us to, which is very scary in that you send us out into a world that rejects our message, is not by our power or our skill, but is your ministry through your power. Father, if there's anyone here who has the wrath of God abiding on them, who has not received Christ, who has not understood that Jesus, when he was on the cross, bore the sins of all those who would trust in him, Father, I pray that they would, with great joy, cling to Jesus, realizing he is their only hope. And Father, I pray that even if that happens this morning, that this afternoon or tomorrow, you could empower that person to go share what the Lord has done through them. Father, we do rejoice in the fact that we are trusting you for those of us who are. None of it is to our glory, all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.